Thank you for tuning into our podcast. In this episode, we invited the planning convener, Neil Gardner, to explain what the council's doing in the realms of planning right now. Far from closing their doors, the planning and building standards service is very much open. The council's planning committee is also meeting regularly to keep the planning process moving in readiness for rebuilding the city's economy. Here's the latest edition of the Edinburgh Report, a podcast brought to you by the Edinburgh Reporter News Group. And now we're joined by Councillor Neil Gardner. Good afternoon, Neil. Good afternoon, Phyllis. Good afternoon. You're the planning convener and you're the councillor, the SNP councillor for Pentland Hills. And of course, uh, on the planning committee, your uh, vice convener is Councillor Maureen Child, who's a Labour councillor. So I understand, Neil, that um, you were a bit upset with me because I did write that the Policy and Sustainability Committee was the only substantive committee working at the council. And of course, that's not true. So tell me what the planning committee is doing. Yes, yes. Uh, I thought it was because there was a lot of officers that have been working quite hard. I think it's important to let uh, people know out there what's been happening over the last eight weeks which have been quite busy uh the both the planning and building standards teams have continued to operate throughout lockdown uh with officers working from home Mm -hmm. so that's really uh made new working with new practices in working Uh, that's that's amazing so how how on earth can somebody um work from home do they have they all taken their their computers home with them or uh, and they're all logged into the the central grid, I suppose. That's right. And it's the, the trials and tribulations of using uh, Skype and uh, um, uh, Teams and all, all that kind of technology, which is it's, it's, impro- it's improving. I think we're also getting more used to it. And uh, it probably will result in a new way of working even after this pandemic. Because um, in some ways, it really helps get things done. But it, 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 it is hard work to get going, I think. Yeah, well, and of course, for somebody who is actually applying for planning permission, sometimes it's important for them to actually speak to a planning officer first, you know, just to say, hey, if I bring this along for X, Y Street, uh, you know, is it likely that you're going to, this is going to meet all your requirements? I suppose that face to face, how do you manage that? Well, it, it is possible to contact officers. I'm, obviously, I'm not right at the call face of, of, of how, how that's happening, but uh, um, it, it, it is still possible, not, but not on a, on a face-to-face basis. Um, uh, yeah, at uh, least but, on the phone, I suppose, they can yeah, speak to yeah, somebody. Yeah, that's possible, or even potentially in, in, a, um, in a Skype-type call, um, one way or another. Yeah. Uh, we do fully recognise the importance of... Uh, keeping things moving um, uh, um, and also the recovery after after this. We, we don't want to hold things up. I know it's uh, important because if you were to look at Edinburgh's skyline a year ago, I think I, I think I remember speaking to you when you were launching the, the City Plan 2030. And I'm pretty sure I must have said to you at that time, gosh, you look at Edinburgh's skyline and you see all these cranes. It's an, it's an amazing city to be living in. It was really exciting at that stage. So I suppose this is to keep keep that vibrancy going. Absolutely. There's thousands of people employed in the, the construction centre, hundreds if not thousands of apprentices. Um, and by keeping it going, it's helping for people making investment decisions 
which which helps all our futures. There's a trickle down in the multiplier of people working construction, keeps shops and pubs and clubs and taxis and buses and things like that going. So it you know, really is an important bit of our economy, um, as well as pr producing useful buildings and spaces and infrastructure. So it's important that we do all we can to help help that process in this difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. So so you've got the Planning and Building Standards Service, which is where people apply for planning permission or building warrant or something like that. That's all working. Now you've also got the Development Management Subcommittee. Um, that's come back after the Easter recess, and people can watch that if they've got nothing better to do perhaps uh, i'm the... sure there's, there's other things like joe, uh, joe wicks which uh, my children are trying to get me to do every morning uh, with um, a degree of success um, maybe in the first quarter and a half of that but anyway yeah if you're really struggling for something to do you can watch the you can watch development that. management subcommittees it's important that we do have that uh, democratic oversight where people can contact their councillors uh, and so it took a bit of effort to get going because it's a quasi, what well, it sounds quite fancy, but it's a quasi judicial committee. So it's a wee bit like a court. We're not allowed to uh, make decisions or speak about decisions before it goes live. And that's where the decisions are made. So that's dealing with um, some of the more major planning applications. We don't necessarily need to do that with the COVID legislation, but we, I and uh, other councillors and officers thought it was very important to have this open and transport, transparent forum. Uh, available uh, to, to ensure that the, the process works well and people are are um, are happy with that. They won't always be happy with the decisions. Uh, <laughs> but that's the nature of it, isn't it? After debate and decision making, but they can be assured that the process is robust and has democratic oversight, which I think is very important. Yeah, sure. And actually, you you had uh, one of those meetings only yesterday, uh, which is uh, Wednesday, the third of June, um, and when you were making some, you know, quite serious and quite um, quite important decisions. It seemed to me, and uh, there was a one on Gorgie Road for thirty five flats. There was another one down on Montrose Terrace for. More student flats, and uh, uh -huh. so there's a whole range of uh, of, of different kinds of uh, decision making, and then you have something which is also called the local review body. That's yeah. that's kind of a tear down, is it, from the development management committee? It, it is. So that's not the full uh, committee. That's got half the the membership on it at any one time, and it reviews. Uh, decisions at a local level uh, and makes decisions on that. So they have never previously, we've always had the the main uh, committees always been broadcast on the council's website, uh, but the, the, the local review body's never been broadcast. So that's actually, you know, a step forward uh, in in um, letting people see what's actually going on. That's good. Um, so it's a real, real transparency in that case, isn't it? To try it is, and it uh, indeed, yeah. try and get these things out there, um, and then um, the other things that uh, you've been doing, of course, um, I mentioned the city plan twenty thirty, and because of the um, the lockdown, you actually extended the time during which that was out for consultation you've had an enormous amount of responses to that it seems people are people of course are very interested in planning in edinburgh i think 
you had about 1,800 formal responses, but with about 26,000 people engaged. That's That must uh, break all the stats, doesn't it? I, I think it's a big uh, jump forward uh, compared to the last time. And also, um, I think another stat was 1 million impressions online. I guess that's people looking at the, the material online. Um, so... Um, you know, I really have to thank everyone that has taken part in, in the process. Um, so it's important to hear um, f from from as many people as are interested to hear their views, and so that we can uh, consider them and incorporate them where, where, where they, they're going to fit into the plan. Yeah, um, uh, that city plan for twenty thirty. That's kind of a, uh, a framework within which all planning applications might then fit or not fit. So that's is that a good enough. Um, way of summarising what the City Plan 2030 is? That's right, Phyllis. I mean, I don't think um, everyone quite recognises what, what it is. And sometimes when they come to um, object to local applications, our, our hands are, are tied because they're already in the the current... We have to look at the current development plan mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, look look what, what what's written there in, in order to make those decisions. And so... Uh, it is really an important document uh, or process. So mm. um, that that uh, uh, will take on board all, all the views of the, the organisations and communities that took part. Good. And um, of course, community councils are quite uh, instrumental in that kind of discussion. And so that one goes forward. The City Plan 2030 goes forward. And sometime this summer, you're going to have a report on that. And then it has to, uh, that, that has to, be finalised not very well, soon, I don't think, is it? It's, well, it's... The, the, what we're going to do this later this summer is to publish the new revised timetable, which will give the whole programme going forward. And then uh, the actual plan will also, um, it's likely to be uh, later this, this year. Um, we're, we're in contact with the government, um, you know, given COVID and other matters, uh, national planning framework. The timetable may move, but um, we're we're very keen to get that um, going as as soon as mm -hmm. as we can absorb all the the responses and come up with a, a, a plan which takes on board um, learning from the, the the COVID situation as well as as all the ongoing mm -hmm. things we were thinking about in terms of carbon chain carbon neutrality mm -hmm. rather and uh, climate change yeah um, and other matters. We should have really said that I should have really explained at the beginning that uh, you yourself are uh, more than qualified to be the planning convener because you've got a um, a background in architecture, isn't that right? If if you if you say so, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I'm an architect, um, so I think um, being um, uh, having been in the coalface, as it were, or uh, I, I do recognise the importance of of keeping the the, the system going, you know, the planning, uh, processing, uh, uh, building standards, applications, et cetera, et cetera, to keep the, the industry uh, going uh, um, through difficult times, much as had to be done in 2010 and so on during the last, last recession. Obviously, this is, this is different, but um, it, it's interesting seeing it from both sides, as it, as it were. Um, and it's really working with, with our partners and stakeholders to keep the thing going. Yeah, yeah. 
So what, uh, where are the most uh, exciting areas in Edinburgh going to be? Uh, you know, if we, we have no idea when this lockdown is going to end properly, of course. So we can't really say, you know, in July we're going to do X because we simply don't know. But um, if, you know, you must know what's coming up in the pipeline, Neil. I'm sure there are a couple of exciting uh, plans that uh, some well, developers have. Certainly. Um, let, let's talk... But before we go on to, on to that, can I just briefly talk about another thing we, we continued during the uh, the lockdown as well as extending the, si the city plan consultation, and that was place briefs. And so, um, as I'm sure on your website, uh, when th there was the Save Leith Walk campaign and so on, so uh, we we have been we extended the period for the consultation for on the other side of Leith Walk at Holmeyer street we were writing a, a place brief and that in includes a lot of um you know resident and stakeholder views and so on to, to, to produce a kind of um not quite a plan but a brief of how a plan might emerge incorporating community needs so we're, we're we'll be continuing at the, that kind of level with other initiatives over the next wee while as well but there yeah. then there's also the big the big projects i think the exciting stuff as well uh, um and I suppose one we could talk about is the bio quarter. Yeah, that's um, out um, sort of in the direction of the Royal Infirmary-ish, isn't it? That's it's, right, uh, yeah. Right out there and um, where, the, where the hospital is and uh, all these kind of sci life sciences businesses. Gosh, it's, uh, we are an exciting city, aren't we? Edinburgh's got everything. Oh, it's, not it's, just financial it's, services, but uh, everything. So, so that's already well underway, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's already been. Um, I have the figure here, here somewhere. I think it's like 500 million of um, public investment has already gone in into that uh, site. That's the, the hospital and the sick kids and a mm -hmm. lot of the uh, life sciences uh, enterprises and the university's medical school and connected facilities. So there's a lot already gone in. And that's all public about, and, capital too, isn't it? I mean, that's that's, right. uh, that's yeah. you know sort of not quite at government level, but certainly university. Uh, doubt we're going to get the university to uh, to employ their capital in quite such a flagrant manner in the future. They seem to be a, a little bit strapped for cash now. But uh, so so that that kind of thing, that kind of uh, huge development, um, will mean. More more development maybe from the private sector is that how I, I that would work? They're looking to bring in a private sector partner. That it's like the old OJU. That that's um, a procurement thing. Official journal to the European Union. They're going to have a pin notice, public information notice, to find a private sector partner to help develop alongside Scottish Enterprise or the land holder, mm -hmm. and then Lothian Health, Lothian Health Board, and the university, as you said, and the council. We don't. Um, own land, but we, we're obviously involved there as well. Um, so all the, all these uh, uh, public sector and quasi public sector, like the university bodies, are, are, are looking to work together. Uh, you know, to, to, to produce something rather than having a series of component parts. It, it's like everybody coming together to, to find the best way forward. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, it will. Well, I'm sure it will result in in new new jobs, new enterprises, um, and potentially a new way of living as well. Yeah. And of course, um, if we have something out there as big as the BioQuarter, that's probably then going to lead to some new transport demands. I imagine that, uh, you know, it'd be 
great to have a tram line out there eventually once you build the first one first, I suppose. For, for sure. Um, I think it, let, let's, uh, I'm, I'm told they're resuming work uh, shortly and, and they're doing the preparation work for the Leith Walk yes. uh, extension. And then um, who knows? Obviously, it depends on funding. But uh, mm. um, the, the, given the, the scale of the, uh, the developments that might happen in the southeast with potentially 20,000 people, living, working, studying, or doing all three of those things in the, the BioQuarter site, uh, then uh, it may make strong sense through a business case to develop that tram line, which mm. could then go on outward, outward to Midlothian uh, and then take some of the commuter traffic off and potentially link up with the Borders Railway as well so that people so, can work, work in, in the BioQuarter and get directly in by public so that- transport. So then you're really you're really uh, going you know and I realise this is all um, perhaps and maybe and yeah. uh, hypothesis, but of course it's the Greens who are also always saying that uh, the use of the money from uh, the uh, city region deal for Sheriff Hall roundabout was going to be money wrongly spent. That may well prove to be the case now because we may not have as much traffic into the city as perhaps we have had in the past, particularly if people uh, continue to work from home like uh, like you and and like me. But uh, I suppose some of the science stuff though at the BioQuarter, bio they have to be in labs or whatever. So there's, there's, there's still a need for office space of some sort or another. I, th- I think it's important for people to come to get uh, though we're all making use of the technologies and so on and perhaps we might work more from home and i'm enjoying more time with with my, my children than mm-hmm. I, I have had over the recent past but um yeah i think there's still scope and need for people to come together when they designed the new university uh informatics building at potter row it was inc- it was really it was interesting to hear from the architects and the university that it was important to have those spaces where you casually meet other people um scientists in that case and a lot of inventions and things came out of that so i think there's always going to be a need for people to to interact and that's the 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 basis of this new exciting new quarter where rather just having a business park or a hospital or houses this is this is everything together and so living and working in that place will will be something of the future and it makes it much more attractive to investors as well they're looking for places where where it's the whole the whole caboodle um uh, rather than just um, the, the business park on its own. That's kind of an 80s, 90s sort of thing. And it's uh, this is kind of the future of, of um, a much much more mixed-use community where probably there's less less travel if you can be near your place of employment. Sure. Uh, but travel into the city centre for, um, res- for your kind of entertainment or whatever, coming to the theatres once they... Um, open up again, that kind of thing. Absolutely. There's always going to be yeah. a role for the city centre, for sure. There is. There is. So what else, Neil? What else is in the pipeline for Edinburgh? Any other nuggets that we can uh, we can get to know about? Well, just on, on the city centre, last year we came forward with uh, planning policies for Prince's Street, allowing a change of uses so you could have more restaurants as well as shops and so on. Because obviously St James, when it opens, is going to take some of the retail and so we're we're open to new ideas for princess street um or, or, you know within the buildings along princess street it's, it's still always going to be edinburgh's foremost street uh but and it's at such a tremendous view but I, what, what i'm also keen to do and bring forward is a overall strategy 
for the, the Waverley Valley. So that's including Princess Street um, and also the gardens. So that, you know, that big rectangle, as it were, between North Bridge and Lothian Road, Princess Street and the old town. Uh, it's a very it's, controversial area that has been is. over recent times. It certainly is, Phyllis. But mm. I think what the city needs to do, we, as a city, we represent Civic Edinburgh. And so there's a number of players who um, have, have things going on in that area. And they, they'll be thinking about their own needs. What the city needs to do is think about the needs of the citizens and try and through a strategy put all the different components together if they fit together um, in that space and, and say what the city needs. So I'm looking for more active planning of, of uh, tell, telling the, 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 the people uh, the, or the organisations really what we're looking for, what our citizens are looking for, and rather than just accepting applications coming forward on their own merits of course we will deal with them if they come to the development management sub subcommittee as as planning applications if and when they come but i think it'd be helpful to have more guidance of what the city is actually looking for in that fantastic space which makes edinburgh such a, a wonderful city that is that is edinburgh's front door really isn't it uh, it sure is it sure is and of course you know we way back I and mean, i think maybe Within the last 15 years, the council um, asked, they commissioned a report by Gale Architects, wasn't it? And they said that Princess Street could be this space with cafes spilling out onto that wide pavement and enjoying the view rather than having retail shops. Maybe they were slightly ahead of their time uh, in thinking about that. But, you know, cafe culture was definitely... Um, the kind of catchphrase of the moment at that point when they, they came forward with uh, that kind of blueprint. But is that what you see? Or do you see kind of restaurants at first floor level or you know, mix or? A, a, a good question. And um, it, it, I think it could be, well be a mix. Um, if, you, if you travel along Princess Street, uh, well, before the, 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 the pandemic, uh, on the, the top floor of a, of a bus, you'd see a lot of the spaces that are just not being used or not being well used mm. with kind of internal facing rooms in the shops and so on. I always remark on it uh, that it's such a fantastic view that people should really be, uh, you know, utilising that to the full. Uh, so, yeah, restaurants on the upper floors, maybe even some mm. residential. There are hotels, yeah, of course, this... along that stretch as it is. And, you know, yep. maybe 100 or 50 even years ago, there was these clubs uh, mm -hmm. um that, that that existed for for those and such as those and so um it's always but and even before that it was um it was uh, residential it was built as residential so it's gone through a, a lot of different uses and nothing nothing is out of the questions maybe even cinemas uh all sorts mm. of things could be put in that space i think the important thing is to make use of the view uh, and, and enhance the view and as i was saying on a more macro level with, with the, the, the the whole thing things that fit together to make the, the whole more than the sum of the parts. So whereas an, as an authority where we can assist in that, we will. We maybe need mm -hmm. to think about the, the uh, and I think the Gale report did look at this, about the, the, the physical landscaping, if you like, of Princess Street. Um, maybe that needs a little bit of money spent on it now as well to, to in, in, enhance the public use of those spaces. And that ties yeah. in perhaps with the, the short-term spaces that we're creating 
you know, uh, during COVID, that we may be to think about longer term use, public uses of that space to really make it uh, the best street in the world. That that should be the aspiration. Um, it should be, shouldn't it? Well, if if we were taking COVID and widened widening the pavements and perhaps taking the pavement out to almost the tram line in the middle, then you would have a lovely boulevard there. Um, but of course, as somebody rightly pointed out to me, that walkway would then be kind of on the wrong side of Princess Street, because actually where you get the views into the garden is on the other side of Princess Street. So um, so maybe the tram's in the wrong place. We'd better not start on that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we want to go down that <laughs> debate. Uh, we are where we are, Phyllis, aren't we? So it, it'll yeah. have to be there have to be a bit of pragmatism there. There always needs to be, and the Gale yeah. the Gale report was aspirational. We now need to turn that into a reality. But to taking on board other things that have happened since, um, and the, the the perennial question about um, Princess Street is how to how to get through the town. You know, from Portobello to Castorfin or north south as well. So we need to think about a lot of things. But um, yeah. it's it's not rocket rocket science. It's um, something that we can deal with and we need to, to work through and, and come up with the best thing for Edinburgh. The, one of the final questions I wanted to ask you was that um, there was an Edinburgh World Heritage event uh, just the other week, which I'm sure you perhaps tuned into at some stage, and it was Rab Bennett, who's an architect in the city, and Richard Murphy and uh, Malcolm Fraser were all talking. But Rab Bennett has this thing that he would like um, Edinburgh to have a kind of a design centre, much as there is in London, I think. And he also mentioned the fact, and perhaps this is sort of what you're thinking about for the Waverley Valley. He said that in Am Amsterdam, for example, what you, your, your planning application has to go before a beauty committee and it has to fit in with their vision of what they want and where they want it. So, yeah, more prescriptive than uh, than reactive, I suppose, be a good good way for the planning committee to be. Well, um, I suppose the question is, who is they? You know, the grand the <laughs> grand Spanish Inquisition. I mean, and I think the important other bits. I have met with Rab a few times, and I'm sitting on with him and many other stakeholders from, you know. Scottish government to industry to um, conservation bodies etc on on that uh, architecture working group um, and I think the important thing is the city is going through change and that we need to consult our citizens and other stakeholders and include them in, in the debate we don't always have the best ideas that they come through dialogue and discussion and debate uh, and so one thing that Rab is keen to do and I'm equally keen is to set up something called an architecture centre. And through the discussion, we've kind of moved it from an architecture centre to uh, something that would talk about uh, the, whole, the whole built environment and carbon reduction. So we're going to have to uh, engage our citizens in, in difficult choices to get to carbon neutrality. And and I'm very keen to take them all, all, all the way with that, help people to understand why we're doing it, what it might involve, what their ideas are. Um, etc. So we need to find a space for that. And I think that given funding constraints and so on, we're probably looking at a pop-up space. And now that could be going in with Edinburgh World Heritage into the Tron. Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a possibility, but there's other possibilities uh, more immediate, which might be um, you know, City Arts Centre or Central mm -hmm. Library or other spaces 
Now, that, there's a range of possibilities, and I'm not, mm. I don't know which, but the important thing is to get it going and get the debate. Yeah, and to think about it, certainly, yes. Going, um, yeah. And, and to, to get people's ideas and, and, and so on. So whether we have a, a sort of Spanish Inquisition of setting out, it must be this way uh, through a, a body of the great good, I'm not completely convinced about, but I'm, I'm convinced that uh, we need to include a lot of people in that debate um, and, and make sure that ideas are really worked through and that we are, you know, we are a par participatory, if I can even say the word participatory city, uh, you know, where everyone's view counts and, and, and that's, that's very important for me. Great. And then what you need is people with some money coming forward with planning applications so that uh, that will keep your planning committee busy. And uh, so I, I, uh, I hear that your the, the planning and building standards service are busy. I hear that uh, you know the the subcommittee, the development management subcommittee, is busy, and the local review body. So, uh, so I, I I stand corrected, Councillor Gardner, well, but I am very glad to hear that you are. Just just on that, it's an important you're saying people with money coming forward and people or institutions with with money um, is important. Um, but, and it's important for them to understand what we're looking for uh, and then and through you know an overall strategy for the the waverley area or, or across the city with the city plan they'll have a much better idea why uh, they might want to invest in edinburgh and it's investing in quality and clarity you know and if we get the whole city behind that that makes it so much easier for for that to happen um but edinburgh's you, the people invest in edinburgh because it is one of the best places to live and we need to continue that, enhance that and take on learning from from COVID and uh, climate change and all, all that, Phyllis. Great. Councillor Gardner, I think I could uh, probably speak to you for another half an hour, but we'll uh, end our podcast there and just thank you so much. And uh, oh, yeah, I suppose you're going back to homeschooling much the same as uh, some other people, or is, it, is school out for the day? I think school school's over for the day, um, but um, it was uh, it was really nice to speak to you uh, again, and hopefully we'll be able to see each other in the not too distant future. Um, so thanks Thank very much for giving me the platform, Phyllis. No problem. Thank you very much, Neil. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening to the Edinburgh Report. Listen out for more episodes coming soon and make sure you don't miss any by hitting the subscribe button now. This is one of the platforms where we can help advertise your business to our listeners would you like to know more about that? Then email editor at theedinburghreporter.co.uk. And remember, you can subscribe to have our monthly newspaper delivered to you direct. Sign up today on our website, www.theedinburghreporter.co.uk.